Hey there, welcome to episode 49 of the Let's Innovate for Vegas audio program. I am your host, Managing Director of the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, Dan Hugo, recording this on the early afternoon of January 26, 2024. Episode 49 already, coming up on a year. Pretty cool. Today we're going to talk about, and the title of this episode is in fact, Board Meeting and Open Data and More kind of a catch-all for a couple of things for the end of January. We just had a board meeting yesterday, a couple of things there, a couple minor things, and then uh, revisiting open data and then some upcoming stuff in the near and through the year, near term and through the year. So thanks for joining in. Let's cover some links to get started. Uh, The Innovate for Vegas Foundation uh, homepage website, innovateforvegas.org, Innovate for Vegas, one word. Innovate for the letter, and spelled out in letters, I should say. InnovateforVegas.org is our business homepage. That is to say, it is not intended to be flashy and cool, (laughs) and so it is most definitely not. Uh, But it is the place where you might visit from the IRS to verify our business data. And uh, we are just about wrapping up our name change, by the way. And so I will stop talking about it eventually. I've got various notes and uh, comments and updates here and there for anyone who wishes to, for example, donate to our 501c3 public charity, tax-deductible donations to uh, help the cause, always available. If you visit our website, you can see the donate button. Uh, So for just a few more days, you would be donating to the Code for Vegas Foundation. We did change our name uh, with the Secretary of State in Nevada. So we are a Nevada corporation, nonprofit corporation, called the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, and the IRS will update our uh, data in their database, tax-exempt organization database. Our EIN will not change. We'll update the names of things in various places. So that will all be sort of visible on that business website. I'll get to the forking in a moment. And our GitHub organization also innovate for Vegas on the GitHub website. If you are familiar with GitHub, you'll know what that link is. And we do not use GitHub as a member management platform. That is to say, our membership roles on GitHub are for contributors to the projects that we are working on, not for just anyone. That way we can try to keep track of who's actually contributing to our projects. Our transparency and attribution policies make that an essential And uh, so we want to keep that sort of highly functional. It's not a catch-all. It's not, like I said, it's not membership roles in the organization. It's actual contribution to projects. So keep that in mind. And of course, if you'd like to join in and participate in our projects, that GitHub starting point would be interesting to learn more about our projects. And that's always a work in progress by definition, the entire content of our organization account there. And our projects, hopefully our project list will grow a little bit, and our projects themselves will make some progress this year. By the way, we have a Discord server. Not really used so much lately, but uh, there's an invite link on that homepage. And again, I'll get to the forking shortly. It's mentioned on our page. A couple of links in the news that are kind of relevant, especially to open data. Uh, The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, LVMPD, published, unfortunately, on X, the most dangerous intersections in the greater Vegas area, the metropolitan area. 
I say unfortunately because it's not actually on their website. So you would have to know, perhaps follow the LVMPD Twitter X account. And then you'd have to see that post and you'd have to flip through. They have it posted as images on on the posts. And I don't know who is thinking about this or what they're doing. That data really should be published as open data. You should be able to get that data from a standard structure of, you know, latitudes and longitudes and street addresses, or actually, in this case, intersection addresses. So you would say uh, the intersection of two streets. Maybe some data on actual, like, why is it the number one or top five? I think top five in each uh, in each precinct command, area command, as they call them. So also somewhat interesting is that the data is published based on car collisions, automotive collisions. So not necessarily the most dangerous for pedestrians, <laughs> which I think is critical to know because the greater Vegas area does have an issue with pedestrian um, injury and worse uh, thanks to interactions with vehicles. I myself am a pedestrian. I can attest to the uh, excitement that comes from walking in the greater Vegas area, not wrapped in metal. And I don't want to be wrapped in metal, especially if I'm interacting with a vehicle I don't intend to. So the take home, this data is published and I have a link to a, a report on it by 8 News Now. What they did, somebody heading to an unsafe intersection right now, what they did is they went through the tweets and they took the pictures of information and they created written word content in this article. I'm sure they did a news report on it as well because it's Channel 8 News. That's all well and good. However, later in the list of links here, I do link to the LVMPD open data portal. They have an open data portal. They could publish this information as open data, but their open data portal focuses on crime and incident reporting, not necessarily dangerous intersections. So we'll get to that in our open data project in a moment. Uh, Clark County planning for businesses affected by Super Bowl traffic. And this is a Fox 5 Vegas article. The county, uh, because the Super Bowl is taking place in Clark County, they're going to try to address some of the things that the Formula One small businesses have been uh, reporting on and complaining about, justifiably so, regarding material losses thanks to construction and traffic and diversion of of a car and foot traffic and so on. So real losses. Uh, the Super Bowl may have similar impact on some businesses in or around the general area. This is another case where uh, actively capturing data from small business, for example, making that open data so that in aggregate uh, analysis of environmental and more specifically economic impact of certain activities, construction, giant sporting events, and so on, could be overlaid on small business data to get a better picture of what has happened, what could happen, and what did happen, and to be able to sort of transparently expose our communities to how things work when we talk about the big headlines, Formula One, Super Bowl, stadium construction, etc., well, traffic diversions with bridges being built and unbuilt and the Tropicana in particular, uh, ongoing construction at Tropicana. 
uh, near the freeway, 95. So, I'm sorry, 95. Near the 95? No, no, no. Da- um, 15. Thank you. 95 is up north. That's where I am. So the 15, Tropicana, Dropicana. So all of these things can be published and made available as open data. They can be visualized on maps. They can be viewed over time. They can be compared against uh, specific impact factors in different uh, areas of a grid, for example. So we can actually make a lot more use of the open data we already have and collect more so that when we see a headline like Clark County planning for businesses affected by Super Bowl, you could actually look at real data instead of reading words in a headline and skipping over them. If you're a small business owner or a business owner in general and you think you might be affected by the Super Bowl, you should be able to get more data than just a snappy headline and some comments from political officials and so on. So we're getting to why this is all relevant. This is not a political stance, by the way. This is just a structural. If we are a smart city, and if our goal, one of our goals with the Innovate for Vegas Foundation is to make our smart city smarter, well, you can see where we're heading with this. This is about our communities and elevating them and making the people in them more informed. Uh, I have an article about we have forgotten how to use computers. I just thought that was kind of interesting. The, the evolution of the mouse and trackpad and so on. Uh, any of us out there who've been using computers since the CRT terminal days, if you were learning Pascal on a VAX as I was in the late 80s, if you were programming a computer with punch cards long before that, kudos to you. Uh, if you've grown up using a cell phone touchscreen more than a keyboard, uh, I think you're missing out. Uh, those are my opinions. Not everything is computer. So most people use computers or technology in some way, whether it's a phone or a tablet or a laptop or a desktop computer or a mainframe. (laughs) Maybe you're using trackballs and touchpads. Maybe you're editing video. Maybe you're recording an audio program as I am right now. Maybe you're creating art visualizations. You are an illustrator or a graphic artist. You keep track of your ingredients or orders for your store. You use them as part of your business. You don't need to be a programmer to use technology. Technology is a tool, not a destination for everyone. Although I'm a, I'm a computer engineer of sorts, so it, it's a bit of a destination for me. But we use these things all the time. Sometimes we forget some of the, some aspects of technology that might be interesting to reflect on. So I just included that just for, uh, for some fun. I have links to, uh, first of all, the City of Las Vegas Open Data. Uh, website, it points to a few of the other data sets. So you can start at the uh, open data portal dash Las Vegas dot open data dot arc ARC GIS dot com. And you can find the geo commons data set and some other stuff there. So if you scroll down a little bit, you'll be able to see a variety of open data data sets. The arc GIS website has a standard form of presenting data, especially geographical data, but their data is very spreadsheet looking, you know, tabulated or and or placed as blue markers on a map. It is not necessarily user friendly. This also applies to the next link, the LVMPD open data portal. You can get all kinds of crime data, incident reporting data, etc. Plenty of data. There's a link to the FBI crime reporting data infrastructure. These are crime-oriented, and they're also very dryly presented as, again, blue markers on a map and tabulated data. So not necessarily 
attractive and not necessarily end user friendly. Uh, LVMPD used to use crime mapping as a uh, third party tool that would visualize incident reports as little icons based on the incident type. So a little gun, a little fist. <laughs> yeah, good times. Um, so these were crime incidents. And that's important for that dangerous intersection thing. If you're only looking at crime, you're not looking at things like, uh, we're not looking at intersections, right? So car collisions are interesting, but what about uh, interactions with pedestrians or bicyclists? What about interactions between inter um, pedestrians and bicyclists? So if you're on a bicycle and you run into a pedestrian, that doesn't really show up there. But even more importantly, what if you're almost hit by a car as a pedestrian and by a vehicle, whether it's a bicycle or a, a you know, motor vehicle, there are, we could actually be capturing dangerous intersections, intersections that could be more dangerous if, uh, but for the luck that a pedestrian might have with them, something overseeing their, uh, their path forward. So we have opportunities to capture more data before incidents occur, not pre-crime, these are not criminal. These are, well, hopefully not. These are uh, low visibility, un unusual, difficult traffic lighting scenarios, uh, places where people are crossing illegally, perhaps. That might be an interesting thing to, to uh, examine. So interaction between pedestrians, people in bicycle, on bicycles, people that use wheelchairs or people that have difficulty getting around in general, or uh, rather than difficulty, let us say, different modes of transportation that may or may not be motorized vehicles. There's large vehicles. There are corridors where large trucks, uh, delivery vehicles travel more often. They're larger. They may have different visibility. So there's a lot of data that could be captured at different intersections very easily, especially if you would like to add to that data set and you happen to have a mobile device in your pocket that you can very easily tap in a location in a, you know, I was almost hit by a car today. That would be good to know, especially time of day. Imagine this. Hey, at a certain time of day, people are almost hit in this crosswalk by vehicles traveling this direction. Hey, oh, and look, the sun might be shining in their eyes, the driver's eyes. So there's a lot of opportunity to make those unsafe intersection reports a more detailed and more uh, useful for a variety of different intersection interactions <laughs> and be more visible. Don't publish them on Twitter as pictures, as images. They're posting uh, graphic images. They look like screen captures of uh, slides with bullet lists of unsafe intersections. Like, come on, latitudes and longitudes, plot on my map, which to their credit, channel eight, eight news now did do. So they plotted, they took all the images, they converted them to text, and then they created map markers for each of the intersections. So kudos to them. Why is LVMPD not publishing this data on their website? Great question. Uh, let's start using the internet, not handing things over in unusable forms to third parties who don't really care. So let's think local. Let's make our smart city smarter. And then, of course, the final link there is the NASA Space Apps Challenge is coming up in October of 2024. Very soon, there will be a sign-up for a local lead. So I'll get to that towards the end. Uh, first, our board meeting. We had our board meeting yesterday. 
we are looking to add board members. Members, uh, We have three board members at present. That's good enough to get the organization up and running. In June, we will have been an unincorporated nonprofit here in Nevada for two years. So we incorporated June 16, 2022. So now is a good time to start thinking about as we start doing more things and are taken more seriously to have more inputs and more opinions, more ideas, and so on. So the res- taking responsibility for making our smart city smarter from the bottom up, from uh, starting with the people to whom it matters, and enabling local innovators to be innovative and building on that. Uh, those are all in the plan. Uh, purpose statement, of course, I, I have it memorized, as should you. To enable and encourage the ideation innovation. No, to enable and encourage ideation and innovation. Ideation. <laughs> Perfect timing. Okay, let me start over. To enable, our purpose is to enable and encourage ideation, innovation, and implementation to make our communities better. It's very simple. I don't have that written down in front of me. That is actually what it says in our paperwork filed with the state and the IRS. We kept it simple to be purposely vague and broad and far reaching. And our focus on innovation, as we have changed our name, not necessarily only on code. Uh, Our intent was never to focus only on code, but the name sort of left people with that impression. That was a legacy that we were building on, which I'll get to in a a second. So Code for Vegas had been around. We were rebooting it. And then uh, it became clear that renaming our organization to be more inclusive made sense. Uh, We are going to begin holding our public. Our our meeting yesterday was public. Just nobody knew about it. We're going to be holding public board meetings. That is, you can join in on our video call. We are using Jitsi, which is an open source cross-platform video conferencing app. Uh, Jitsi dot something, Jitsi.com, I guess. Those links are usually on our calendar, our gatherings calendar, which is on our website, innovateforvegas.org. We'll do a better job of getting that word out. That's uh, on our list of projects below. And we invite people to join in, not necessarily to behave as board members, but certainly to listen to discussions, to join in, to make suggestions, and so on. We actually started out in our early days with a community panel idea because all the projects we're trying to accomplish uh, are about our community and people in our communities and how we can elevate them. So we aren't we're not a commercial interest or a nonprofit and our goals are community centric, civic volunteerism. We don't have ship dates. We don't have uh, products to sell or anything like that. So we welcome input from others. We are not a monolith. We are not a dictatorship. Although sometimes I have my dictator hat on <laughs> project management is a, is a, is a quite an undertaking. Oh, but seriously, the input from a community, from people, from normal people, people who are not necessarily coders or creators themselves, but who would benefit from the innovation of our local innovators should join in. So consider that. And again, we are looking for uh, probably one or two or maybe three more board members. Board members, we don't really have a lot of work to do for board members in general, uh, unless you're me and you're also doing a lot of the project coding or not. Depending on how many things you have going on, but uh, you don't necessarily need to contribute to projects as a coder or as a creator. You can certainly help with our engagement with our various government and non-governmental organizations and agencies and staffers and 
help to get the word out in general uh, beyond Nevada. Well, beyond Clark County, certainly, but beyond Nevada, perhaps. So participation does not require residence in the state of Nevada. That's actually part of our state laws concerning corporations. So board members need only be over 18 and alive and willing. <laughs> I, somewhere I have a, an attorney general document on the requirements and expectations of board members and responsibilities and so on. So I, can, uh, I, should, I should make that more visible for anyone considering it. But the bottom line is you do not need to be in Vegas to innovate for Vegas. And that applies to board members or contributors to projects or anyone who would like to be involved in any way. Our outreach to other civic volunteers, whether within Nevada or beyond, continues. And like I just said, if you uh, want to be on our board and take that action sort of more formally and help with our outreach beyond Nevada, that would be great. But in general, uh, like I said, you can innovate for Vegas. You don't need to innovate in Vegas. And even more importantly, our projects are, by design, not Vegas-centric so much. So ideally, the things that we can learn and develop here, we can share with our 40 million visitors and we can share with other people in other places to make their smart city smarter. So there you go. How cool is that? I haven't talked about open data in a while. We did have a nice open data. I think it was open data is everywhere. And it was with Anthony Willis is the kind of lone survivor of the city's open data management group. Uh, Nicole has moved on. So the two people in that audio program are, and then there was one. And so Anthony continues his day-to-day work on our open data data sets and data set management and policy and governance and so on. Uh, Open data is a bigger thing than I will make it sound like today. It is the origin story of the original Code for Vegas organization, which was part of Code for America, the implementation of the open data data sets and platform in Vegas in around 2012 to 14-ish were where the Code for Vegas organization got its start. And so there is there are some origin story roots that make the connection. The Innovate for Vegas Foundation does have a project called the Open Data Capture Platform, and it's aimed squarely at that, capturing open data. Capturing and making it available for people to use to make our smart city smarter. Uh, There is already a lot of open data, so don't for a moment think that uh, open data is waiting on us, but there could always be more data. I don't mean just random data thrown in there, but some smart planning to make use of things like pedestrian inputs on potentially unsafe intersections, right? We should gather that and make that visible so that it's not a secret posted in pictures on Twitter. It should be actual official data that we can examine over time, and we can connect unsafe intersection reports or it doesn't have to be an intersection it could be any anywhere anywhere pedestrians find themselves you know if you're if you're walking along on a particular stretch of road that's unpaved or uh unimproved sidewalks which is a the case in many places uh and you have rocks getting thrown up and possibly coming into contact with you at high speed that's something to make a note of and that's not always it's sometimes brushed off as like ah just got a duck But if we actually start collecting things like this stretch of road is uh, low visibility or there's a lot of incidents of uh, accumulation of obstructions in the bike lane. And if you're on a bicycle and you don't have sufficient lighting at dusk or dawn or, you know, low lighting scenarios, 
you may find yourself running into a hubcap or a large rock or a, a wrench, who knows what. So places where uh, detritus tends to accumulate in the bicycle lanes can lead to uh, unsafe scenarios. And a bicyclist may get thrown into the street, um, you know, out of the bicycle lane onto the, the thoroughfare when a car might hit the bicyclist. They may fall onto the sidewalk and run into a pedestrian, et cetera, et cetera. So if we can capture this data and we can publish it in a way that people can make use of it using, say, the open data <laughs> platforms that we already have, that becomes very interesting. It makes our smart city smarter. So dangerous intersection data could be part of the open data data sets to begin with, the data that has been published today or yesterday. Uh, but that is only the beginning. And certainly so much more is possible if we can capture this data so we can do better. And uh, the, the, the ability for all of our fellow locals and even visitors, virtual locals, if you will, to add data to the open data data sets would increase access and awareness to useful information. That means uh, people who know things about their surroundings. An example I use frequently is uh, a habitat encroachment. Do you see posts on social media platforms like Nextdoor about sightings of coyotes, possibly coyotes stealing pets, sightings of snakes and scorpions and politicians, knowing when they are moving closer to communities where people live is interesting. Those probably can be linked to water availability and uh, food source availability. If you're a coyote and there are fewer of the animals that you prefer to go after, if those animals, if those prey uh, beasts have moved in towards where people are to find more water, then the coyotes may follow them in search of uh, something to eat. So knowing about habitat encroachment, that could be open data. That should not be a matter of comments in you know, next door posts or tweets. There could be actual markers on maps indicating probably over time a tightening radius, a polygon that grows smaller as the habitat encroachment brings more um, more, more animals, beasts, critters that you may not be seeing on a day-to-day -day basis before, maybe you're seeing them more now. And so knowing that and sharing that in a way that people can make use of, totally possible. So if we can add to the data sets by normal people, you can actually capture useful information, not anecdotal, you know, complaining, if I may say, on a platform like Nextdoor, but you can actually put a marker on a map with a time and a date you can watch that change over time, et cetera. So we can have tons of useful information that would enable more people to make informed decisions or to just be aware of what's happening, what's changing, uh, beyond what we might find on platforms like Nextdoor. Uh, we have a few projects that are still moving ever so slowly. As I've told many people, all of our projects are advancing. Uh, even if it's just me, you are managing director. If I'm the only one working on all of our projects, I do have background and experience to be able to work on all of them. It will just take substantially longer. So if you want to help out, come on down. Our prototype hardware for the CERT radio project has arrived. Uh, reasonably priced at $30. It's a small piece of hardware with a LoRa long range radio on board to do some mesh networking. We have one so far uh, to start with some integration. So to start building 
around it. And then we can test the mesh network, mesh networking communication component. We'll get a second device with another LoRa radio. And ideally it will be a different kind of device. So now we're not, we're not depending on using the same exact device on either end of a communication transaction. So if we can get the platform to work across different types of devices, then we don't have to be tied to supply chains and costs. And then ideally we can start you know, deploying these for people to try out. And our CERT community in the Greater Vegas area is reasonably active. Unfortunately, our emergency management office is not so interested in this type of engagement, but individuals on the ground might actually recognize the value proposition of a very, very, very low cost, not centralized mesh networked communication device with GPS and a rechargeable battery and so on. So that in the in a time of emergency, you could actually connect with your fellow CERT volunteers, regardless of the availability of the internet or cell phones or even satellites. These are peer-to-peer -peer mesh networking. So pretty cool. Let's see how that starts now that we have some hardware to play with. Uh, our first goal though is still the MyMuni and Smart Social combination that we will deploy to share information like unsafe intersections. We should be able to use the modern internet tool set, the web, the protocols that connect different data sources to presentations, etc. cetera. Uh, we should be seeing unsafe intersection data on a resource that we can access regardless of whether we are a member of a particular Nextdoor community or whether we are following LVMPD on Twitter or X, uh, we should be able to access this information not in a fleeting news article. The problem with a news article that has all this useful information, it will fall off the front page of the website and you may never see it again. It will still be there, but how would you know to even look for it? So pooling information like unsafe intersection data, which really should be expanded again beyond vehicle collisions and include pedestrian, bicyclist, accessibility, unsafe uh, intersections based on collisions, based on incidents of any kind, the list goes on. So making this data visible is a part of making our smart city smarter. Uh, if we can use smart social protocols and practices, so this is not posting on a third party platform like Twitter, but making use of uh, things like RSS uh, from the old days and activity pub from the new days and presenting the data in ways that do not require applications to be installed and possibly even in different languages. So that if you are visiting from a country that does not speak English and or Spanish, you can still figure out what's happening. Language translation, that is localization, internationalization and localization has been done. We don't need to invent anything. We just need to implement. Uh, our first and favorite project though, Open Transit, uh, that was our first hackathon. It was before we incorporated. So it was in March, April timeframe, 2022, still on the table. It is my personal favorite project, even though my Muni and Smart Social are essential. Open Transit for a different part of the, or a subset of the local population and visitor population. Open Transit is also important for different reasons. Uh, some of the news and information that would be shared through the Smart Social and my Muni project combination is not real time, although some of it would be. 
But if you are a user of public transit, it is important for you to know if a bus is going to be late or if a bus has been detoured or if your stop has been closed for some reason. You need to know that before you get there. You need to know information that will help you get from here to there now, not did you read the email, did you subscribe to the Twitter feed, oh, aren't you keeping track of this piece of information that you really could have used 10 minutes ago? Uh, transit is a real-time activity. Uh, RTC driver strike, as I'm speaking right now, is looming. And so who will be impacted by such things? There is a 10-year survey that RTC SNV has already conducted. So every 10 years, they survey their ridership. Uh, the awful transit app, I say awful because it is, uh, conducts surveys every once in a while, not about their application, but about transit in general. Those are seemingly uh, taken at random sample, yeah, random samples of users of transit. And I believe you have to actually use their app with their Go feature to be surveyed. So we should be knowing a lot more. And this is the internet age. We can engage riders. And if we do it in a privacy aware way, you don't have to divulge your point of origin. So you don't have to indicate where you live. You don't have to indicate your workplace or whether you're going to school. We really don't have to know that you are you. We just have to know that you are a person or a, an individual making use of public transit. Uh, it can be done and it should be done. And we'll know the impact of something like a driver strike or something like an unsafe uh, transit stop or detours and their impact and how a closure of a stop that isn't published anywhere can cause real concern for people who needed to catch a bus at that stop. Sounds like the voice of experience. Uh, it has never been more important to understand our public transit infrastructure and its riders and drivers and ideally make it work better. Uh, especially for those who depend on it. Uh, and that includes people who visit, uh, whether you're riding it every day or when you're, whether you're riding the deuce because you're visiting our oasis in the desert for a weekend or anyone. Uh, this is a resource that should be useful and usable for everyone. A couple of upcoming items, the NASA 20, 2024 NASA International Space Apps Challenge, as I mentioned, is, uh, is in October. As usual, I believe this is the 13th or 14th year. I think it's the 13th year. Uh, we did have a team for 2023, the Vegas local event. I personally was the local lead, so I was facilitating the, the Las Vegas edition, the Las Vegas event for this hackathon. It's the largest hackathon in the world. It happens over the course of a 47-hour period or 46 hours and 59 minutes or something like that. No, it's not. Well, basically two days. Uh, it's over a weekend. The, uh, NASA runs it, but they don't run the local events. So there's a little bit of a, you know, that's your problem. No, it's your problem. <laughs> but uh, it is something to think about if you are interested in local innovators and local innovation. We did have 12 participants in 2023, which was also the case the last time there was an event, which I was not involved with in 2021. Uh, unlike my participation in 2023, whoever would like to be the local lead for 2024 in the greater Vegas area, you are more than welcome to contact me and I will give you any input or assistance I am able to. So there you go. Uh, but we're passing the baton. So someone who would like to be the local lead 
if you would like to contact Innovate for Vegas for more information. Uh, and like I said, passing the baton. So this is not our event. We are not affiliated. We facilitated last year. So it was not even an Innovate for Vegas event. But if you are interested, if you just want to know anything, I can, uh, I can fill you in from the perspective of last year's event. Info at InnovateForVegas.org. That's I-N-F-O, InnovateForVegas.org. Send an email and let me know. Our Maker Innovator Meetup on the 9th of January, which was during CES, uh, brought a lot of makers and innovators together that happened to be in town. So uh, we had about five local people out of a list of 35 people who were invited. And then we had probably somewhere between 50 and 70 people throughout the evening, either staying for the whole time or coming and leaving and so on. So I think we estimated something like 70 people. Some good conversations, some interesting discussions, and where does Las Vegas or the greater Vegas area fit into the maker and innovator culture, the the global ecosystem of making and innovating? Uh, you know, What can we do here in Vegas? There are a lot of people who visit Las Vegas. It's a lot of opportunity to engage people from different places, different cultures, different languages, different expectations, different abilities, fully ambulatory or requiring other things. Tremendous opportunity to turn innovation into implementation and interaction. And that's co-creation for you. Uh, we have a few ideas, like I said, to examine for this year and into the future and to highlight local innovation more so than it is. You should not only know that there's a Formula One race happening, but that there are people doing innovation, innovative things. Innovation is taking place here, uh, making it more visible. And that goes along with the MyMuni Smart Social Project. More focus paid on the people doing things, whether they live here or visiting, so that more people are aware of what's happening. Not everything is a stadium or crime, believe it or not. What happens here need not stay here, the bottom line. We should be more visible, and 40 million people should know that they can try out some new cool things. How fun is that? Should we return to having hackathons? We were having a monthly hackathon meetup. Now, some people uh, who are not familiar with hackathons at all didn't really have any expectations. If you are familiar with hackathons, you may have been thinking, what, do I have to stay up for two days every month? Nope, that was not the case. So the, the idea, though taking the useful parts of a hackathon that are not so stressful. It was focused ideation. Get together at the Innovation Center in that case, and we had whiteboards and dry erase markers, and we had projects, and we had ideas, and we had people that were interested, and we would draw up diagrams and discuss. And that's the whole notion, was to have a common time and a common place and resources available, discussions, uh, freeform ideation, implementation perhaps, and so the idea was to, to have that focus time, but really as a starting point for, you know, between hackathons, if people wanted to work on projects on their own or get together, indeed, or get together in a uh, coffee shop or in a library or other common in-person or per certainly virtual, there are plenty of tools now for virtual uh, coding side and then creating, probably similar, um, there are various tools out there for graphic illustration or language translation or any of the other various components that go into projects. Not everything is code. And we do have an entire focus on uh, creators, and that's the forkening, which I will end on. But yeah, like hackathons, should we bring them back? Should we take another approach? Some input from the people we would like to have participating. 
would be great. So we tried the monthly hackathon meetup. It really didn't work. So what might work better? Uh, finally, the forkening, which I mentioned a couple times, the I think it's still on our homepage. It sounds funny. At the time, it was not intended to be a long-running transition, but it, you know, it, it has been backburnered a little bit. The forkening was this. If you are a coder, Code for Vegas made sense. Oh, I'm a coder, Code for Vegas. Perfect. If you are not a coder, and this was an actual question posed multiple times, if I'm not a coder, then I'm not welcome, or this is not for me. And the take-home, of course, is that really good projects, even if they are code projects, benefit tremendously from people who are not coders participating. Anything from actual graphics and icons and user interface design and testing and documentation and language translation to just being a real person who gets out from behind a computer and lives life and you have particular challenges or particular uh, needs that you encounter day to day that may not be apparent to someone who lives in a different part of town or in a different city or country or who knows where who doesn't have your experience. So to be able to bring various skill sets and backgrounds and interests together on projects so you can actually take a look at, hmm, we can actually address this and we can make it work for people who don't speak English and we can make it work for people who can't see. So there's a variety of participation types, if you will, where projects benefit. And ultimately the people we are making these projects for, our communities, plural, uh, benefit, right? We're elevating our communities, making them better. So if we can tackle a small problem, a big problem, uh, whether it's a problem or not, maybe it's just something that could be improved. It's okay now, could be better. So the ability for people to contribute to our projects was something we wanted to make clear. So the forkening was you could be a coder or a creator. So that was like a simple division, two sides of the same coin. You know, I'm a, I'm a graphic illustrator. I'm not a coder. Okay, but we need both. <laughs> so you could code for Vegas. So we were going to stick with our old name for that side of the, uh, the coin, if you will. So that would not be our organization name. It would be a portal. It would be a way to promote projects like that. So code4.vegas, create4.vegas are two domains that we have until this weekend. So code4.vegas will go away. Create4.vegas expires sometime after, but we have acquired four, F-O-R.vegas. Don't go there now. Literally just registered it. Now we can do code.4.vegas, create.4.vegas. The idea is to have a place to celebrate and recognize efforts in these different project areas. So like I said, our innovateforvegas.org website is the business site. Go there if you're with the IRS or with the Secretary of State or a particular city or agency and you want to know what our tax ID is or our EIN or our Nevada business ID or you want to find out who's on our board or you want to find out what's our statutory address or whatever, things like this, kind of boring. But if you want to see who's working on projects, you want to see what the projects are, you want to see some outcomes, we want to publish this kind of information. We want to share and celebrate, recognize efforts. So 4.Vegas is all about doing things for the people of Vegas, the place that is the greater Vegas area. It's not just the administrative city of. Vegas is a larger place than most people uh, are willing to admit or want to deal with. I always tell people the welcome to fabulous Las Vegas sign is very far south of where actual city of Las Vegas is. It is uh, 
on your way to California. <laughs> it's still in the greater Vegas area, but it is certainly not in the city of Las Vegas. So yeah, Las Vegas or Vegas is a bigger place. And if you want to innovate for Vegas, you do not need to innovate in Vegas, but you are certainly welcome to join in. And we would love to share the work that we do and recognize the work that you do as part of these dot four dot Vegas uh, portals that we'll begin to develop. So the forking project, maybe it's forking two, uh, continues, and it's all about recognizing and celebrating uh, project contributors, whether they are coders or creators, or there may be other areas. So code for and create for, they were a little bit restrictive, right? There may be two, more than two sides of this coin. We're, we're living in the fourth dimension. So that's about it. I will leave you with that. Thank you so much for listening as always. I think we'll try to have a guest or two in the coming weeks about some of the innovation projects that we have for the coming year. It's all about recognizing and celebrating for those projects. So making more visible the local innovation by local innovators, entrepreneurs, startups, projects, academia, young people, older people like myself, somewhere in between. So uh, making things more visible. Uh, we are not building a stadium, but we should still be making headlines. Good ones, hopefully. Uh, and keep that open data capture stuff in mind. Uh, you probably encounter something in your travels that you wish more people knew about or understood, and you tweet about it or you post it on Nextdoor, and it becomes something that people comment on, that you're wrong, and so on. So open data is not about opining. It's about an actual piece of data that can be collected and, and presented with other pieces of data to make informed decisions. So something to think about, and I will leave you with that. So thank you for listening, as always. Thank you for telling your friends to listen. And do remember, if you would care to support our organization, either participating in our board meetings, which will begin to occur monthly and open to the public, or if you would like to actually contribute to projects, or if you'd like to suggest a new project, or if you'd like to be involved in any way, that's what we're here for. Info at innovateforvegas.org is a great way to start, or visit our website, or you can join our Discord server, and you can blow some dust off of some of the posts that are on there and bring it back to life, because most of the discussions were around the Space Apps Challenge, which was in October, and uh, we can breathe some new life into some of the things we're working on. And that is where I will end it. Thank you for listening. Take care.